The reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that every one of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Our second reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. Acts 2, 14 to 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show my wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him 
to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place on his, one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is God doing? That might be a question you've got right now in lockdown. What is God doing? Maybe it's a question you've asked many times before at difficult moments. What is God doing? As you read through the Old Testament story, you realise it must have been a question God's people have been asking for centuries. Think of the Israelites enslaved in Egypt. What is God doing? 
or those times when a good and wise king uh, dies, only to be replaced by a fool who brings wickedness and unrighteousness in, uh, in its place. What is God doing? Even the disciples in Acts chapter 2 must have had that question. Just a few weeks earlier, they'd seen Jesus walking the road to the cross. What is God doing? And as their confusion turns to joy in light of the resurrection, that probably turns back to confusion again. When Jesus ascends, he's no longer with them physically. They feel alone. What is God doing? Well, if that's your question, or how you're feeling, Acts 2 is a great place to go, and Pentecost is a great time to go there, because then we are reminded God is doing what he has been doing from the start, completing and fulfilling his rescue plan for the world. And it's an important moment in that plan, a moment where God wishes to reassure his people his plan is very much on track. In fact, through Jesus it has been fulfilled. And to mark that special moment, he gives them a gift. Now, we often do that at important moments, don't we? Like an anniversary or a birthday, we want to mark the occasion, we give a gift. Just under a year ago, I was given this gift, a pair of cufflinks. I think we got a picture. They were given to me by my wife, Joanna, on the morning of our wedding. They're full of meaning to me. They're very special and they were very reassuring uh, to receive uh, on the morning of the wedding. Well, God's gift, special and important as that gift is to me, God's gift to his people is even more amazing. God's gift is the Holy Spirit. According to Christian teaching, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, a person, a he, not an it. The Spirit lives in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus. He reassures them of God's love for them, that they are his children. He gives them power to fight sin and to live for Jesus in the world. He is an amazing gift. Sadly, I don't have time to go into the detail of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in this sermon today. If you have questions about that, why not use the hello at platchurch.org email address to ask them. And I'm sure someone will be in touch and point you in a helpful direction. In fact, I may just have volunteered for that job uh, myself, but let's see. Um, Instead, what I want to focus on is is the meaning of the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, what it means, what it was telling the people then and what it's still telling us today that God has given this amazing gift. Uh, And there are three things briefly I want to touch on. And here's the first. The Spirit is given to tell us God's plan is completed. Now, it's important to note Pentecost is not a new thing that Christians invent. Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came. Pentecost was something Jews had been celebrating long before Acts 2 and still celebrate today. On Pentecost, two main things happen. Uh, They remember the giving of the law and the covenant relationship at Mount Sinai. After the rescue from Egypt, this was the moment that, that they knew God's rescue was completed, that he had brought them out to be his special people. So it's a time to celebrate the completion of a rescue. The other thing they do at Pentecost, interestingly, as we'll see, is that's the day when Jews mourn annually the death of King David. Some even make a pilgrimage to the site of his tomb in Jerusalem. Um, Those two things are are what the Jewish people still do today at Pentecost. Uh, But that first one, the the idea of the completion of rescue, uh, that, that something has been finished, Uh, is really relevant to this 
passage. There are all sorts of Old Testament echoes in Acts 2. Uh, Sometimes the Old Testament is quoted. You'll have seen that the prophet Joel and the Psalms are quoted. But in all these ways, the the Bible is subtly pointing us to to the fact that in Acts 2, we're seeing the completion of all the Old Testament plans of God. At first, in verse 2 and 3, you hear this violent wind a great sound and fire coming down and resting on each of the disciples as they're in the room together. And wind and fire and great noises often accompany God coming down to be with his people like they did at Mount Sinai. There, there is an echo of Mount Sinai there. Remember, that's what Pentecost celebrates. Uh, it's this sign that that thread of God coming to be with his people is now being fulfilled as the Holy Spirit is given God himself to live in the hearts of believers. And then something amazing happens to to, um, show that the Spirit coming is is something real and powerful and amazing. Uh, A miraculous uh, happening occurs where um, people gather around, they hear a large sound, so they gather around. Verse 6, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? What's happening here? Well, God's plan for the world was always that the Jews would be a light to the nations. Abraham and his descendants were meant to be a blessing to all nations. And here we see in Acts 2 a reversal of the Tower of Babel uh, in Genesis 11, but, but also just this idea that the Spirit has come and now enabled the message that God wants to give to the world to be heard and understood by people of all sorts of different languages. These are human languages that they hear in their own language. Uh, And look at verse 11, great verse at the end of verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Because God's plan was always that his salvation would extend beyond Israel to the whole world. And that plan has been completed And the Spirit is helping, enabling his people to take that message of salvation out to the whole world. God's plan is still ongoing in that regard. Here at Platt, we support uh, Margaret Hill with Whitliffe Bible Translators. And Whitliffe are an organization who love to get the um, word of God out to as many people in as many different languages as possible. Verse 11 is a bit of a calling card. They want people to hear the wonders of God in their own tongues too. Because that was always God's plan for the world. And then to cap it all off, that, that this is a moment that shows the completion of God, God's plan. Uh, when a few people start mocking them, saying, well, they've had too much to drink, that's why there's all this commotion, Peter stands up and says, no, that's not it. And then he goes to the prophet Joel. And in verse 17, he quotes Joel, in the last days, God says. Peter is saying, we are now in the last days, for God's spirit has been poured out. And that's what Joel talked about many years before. Prophecy is being fulfilled, the Spirit has come, and that is a sign to everyone around that God's salvation plan is being fulfilled, is completed. What a reassurance it must have been to them. But secondly, the Spirit is given to tell us Jesus is the Messiah. 
One thing I think is very interesting about this passage is you, you get the, the Spirit's uh, activity early on and there's a miraculous happening as people can hear things in their own language and there's noise and fire and, and all the rest of that. And then Peter stands up and says, well, we should expect this because the prophets talk about it. But then from verse 22, when he begins his sermon, so to speak, fellow Israelites, let me now speak to you. He doesn't really mention the Spirit again for many verses. Let, let's read those verses again from verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, when Peter receives the Spirit and is empowered by the Spirit, he talks not about the Spirit, but about Jesus. For that's what the Spirit does. Equips and empowers God's people to point others to Jesus. Jim Packer, one of the Church of England's great theologians of the last hundred years, uh, said, talks about the spotlight ministry of the Holy Spirit, that his job is to take a big bright light and shine it on Jesus. And now enlightened Peter begins to show how the whole Old Testament is, is pointing toward Jesus, that he was the purpose and plan of God all along. In particular, that he was God's chosen king or messiah uh, lots of the jews had an expectation that there would be a coming messiah and peter says jesus is that one the great king the anointed king that god has chosen to rule his people and he does it in a very um, telling and important way remember what i said about pentecost being the time when uh, the Jews celebrate, uh, remember David's death and, and make pilgrimage to his tomb. Well, look where Peter goes from verse 25. He, he quotes Psalm 16, written by uh, David. And one of the verses in that psalm says, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. A promise that God would be with his chosen king. But then look what Peter says. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently the patriarch David died and was buried. And you can imagine the crowd, can't you? Well, duh, Peter. It's Pentecost. We all come to remember his death every year at Pentecost. And we come to his tomb. And so Peter says, well, who's he speaking about then? Because in that psalm, he says the Holy One won't see decay. And Peter says he was a prophet. And verse 31, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, the son of David, uh, the one God had promised him would sit on his throne forever and that he would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead and his body wouldn't see decay. And so Peter says, don't you understand? This Jesus I've told you about, the one who worked miracles, the one who was nailed to a cross, and the one God raised from the dead, he's the Holy One who won't see decay. He's the one who won't be abandoned to the grave. He's the one that David spoke of. He is the true 
Messiah of Israel, the anointed king. And look what that means for them. Exalted to the right hand of God, verse 33, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter's point is only the risen Messiah, only the one who sits on the throne in heaven has authority to pour out, to give the Holy Spirit to God's people. So Jesus' resurrection and his ascension make that possible. The Spirit can be poured out. And they've seen that the Spirit has been poured out, which reminds them God's plan is completed. And it shows them it's completed in Jesus, the Messiah. He is the center of God's plans. Well, third reason, third thing we need to see about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is given to all who repent. And that's where we come in. You see, there's a bit of a punchline in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That must have been a worrying moment. The risen king of the world is the one you crucified, Peter says, to the crowd. You ignored him or thought him mad or a rebel or um, somebody who needed to be done away with. You didn't treat him like the Messiah, the king that he was. Well, that's a bit of an uh uh-oh moment, isn't it? What have we done? In fact, that's exactly how they respond. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We've made an enormous mistake. I love that it's Peter at this point who's giving the sermon. Because Peter knows that in Jesus there is one who even when you let him down, even when you deny him or betray him or run away, he knows there's hope of restoration because that's his own story. He who denied Jesus was reinstated. He knows there is grace but he knows you have to acknowledge that he really is the risen Messiah, the king of the world, the king of Israel. And that's what he tells them. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. To repent is to change your mind. If you've treated Jesus like he wasn't king of the world and king of your life, if you treated him as he was unimportant or someone who could be ignored, to repent means to change your mind and change your direction of life, to say, no, that's not who Jesus is. He is the Messiah the risen king of the world. I I must uh, come before him, acknowledge him as such, and say, you must rule over me, Jesus. That's what repentance is in biblical terms. And to be baptized is to identify yourself with him as you go down, symbolizing death in the water, and then you're risen again out of the water to new life. It is to say, I'm going to follow this one who died and rose again, confident that he is the Lord who can give me eternal life too and forgiveness for my sins, as Peter says. There is grace and forgiveness for any who will trust Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord and Messiah. And Peter says, if you do that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift Peter and all those in the room with him received at the start of Acts 2. 
a gift that each one of them received individually as those tongues of fire separated and were on each one of them. In the Old Testament, God went before the whole people as one big pillar of fire to reassure them he was with them. But as Jesus ascends into heaven and pours his spirit out, something's a bit different. Now each individual who repents and believes can have the Holy Spirit with them. What a confidence that is during lockdown. Uh, we are separated physically from uh, one another and, and need to watch via live streams and things like that. And, and that is hard and that is sad. But what a reassuring comfort to know that if you're a believer who trusts in Jesus, God is still with you by his spirit. And he still unites us to one another with bonds uh, that can't be broken by a pandemic. What a wonderful reassurance that is, that each of us can be assured of our own personal relationship with God. And as the Spirit uh, is poured out in Acts 2, it's a reassurance at an individual level that we're forgiven, that we're loved, and a reassurance to us all that God's plan is still very much on track, that that plan has been fulfilled by Jesus, his Messiah, and that by repenting and believing, we can be part of it too. What is God doing? Well, through the gift of his Spirit, he's still declaring to this very day that Jesus is the Messiah. That his plan has been finished through the work of that Messiah and he is calling us all to repent and come under his rule, to let him be the Lord of our lives. And even in lockdown, that's still happening as churches around the country broadcast that message, as people tune in. As uh, this week we're going to join together in our church prayer gathering to, to pray for, for our Reach the City initiative as we're looking to send that message, the wonders that God has done in Jesus, out further and further afield. Because we long for people to hear the good news that God has made Jesus Lord and Messiah. And that there is forgiveness and welcome into his kingdom for any and everyone who will trust in him. Well, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, thank you for the message of Acts 2. Thank you for its reassurance that your plan is still on track. That Jesus is the risen King you have promised us. And from his throne in heaven, he can pour your Holy Spirit to reassure us, to help us, to guard us, to guide us, to equip us, and empower us to continue with your mission, for your plan for the world, your plan to go out and tell everybody that you have made Jesus Lord and Messiah. Amen.